The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven churches are the seven churches. Lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. 
So why a series on the book of Revelation? That might be a good way to start. We're going to be looking at Revelation really through Easter Sunday. So that's the next 14 or 15 weeks or so. Here's why. As we move into 2017, um, a lot of us, I think it's probably fair to say, and a lot of people around the world feel like uh, things are falling apart all around us in so many different ways. 2016 was a rough year for a lot of people. The election, no matter where you stand on that, I'm not trying to be political, it was a partisan, it was a divisive thing. Um, Racial tension and violence seems to be a regular occurrence in our country. And all manner of personal circumstances that we're facing in our lives individually have also perhaps had an impact on us to where we're thinking, man, what is going on? Then we read about things like the Lindos family's tragedy this week, and then on a global scale, things like what are happening in Aleppo, Syria, and other parts of the world. And, you know, sometimes if we're being honest with ourselves, we just have to wonder, what is God doing? What is God up to in all of this? And how does Jesus want us, if we're his people, to respond to these sorts of things and to these sorts of feelings? What does the Christian faith provide in the way of support or response. And so, as we think sort of in those broad terms, I want you to hear that Revelation, perhaps more than any other book in the whole Bible, provides answers to those kinds of questions. Um, Revelation tells us that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that we do not need to fear. That is our main theme and message in the coming months. That's the purpose of this sometimes very difficult and disturbing book. And so before we jump into chapter 1 this morning, by way of introduction, I'm going to ask you to sort of uh, get up to 60 miles an hour with me almost right away. Uh, Let me tell you just three things by way of introduction. But before I do that, I want to mention that there's a larger introduction that I have written out on the info table at the risk of overkill. Um, Revelation is a book, if you've been a Christian or familiar with it for a while, you know it's sometimes a very difficult book. And there's a lot of things that need to be said before people before I start that I just don't have time to say in a sermon. So I wrote a lot of things. So these are some of these are out on the welcome table. Uh, this is just a little introduction that I wrote to the book. You're welcome to grab one of those. I've also uploaded it to the city, so you could download it via the city and read it. That will provide you, uh, Lord willing, with a little bit of background information and interpretive thinking so that you can better understand the book as we move our way forward. Of course, you're welcome to send me an email asking questions that I will probably just delete and not answer. Um, You're welcome to send me emails. Just kidding. I won't really delete them. Uh, Asking questions about the essay, but I'd encourage you to check that out. So that's the main introduction out there, but let me tell you three things really quick by way of introduction, and then we're going to get going, okay? First, Revelation was written by the Apostle John. And it was almost certainly written, uh, although this is a little bit controversial, it was probably written in the very end of the first century, around 95 AD. And John, as he mentioned there in that reading, is on a prison island. It's the ancient Alcatraz, in a lot of ways, called Patmos. He was on Patmos because he was a Christian and had been preaching and witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus. And so the Romans had thrown him into this island prison. So John wrote the book. Second, He wrote the book to, he says in verse 4 and verse 11, the seven churches in Asia. Now those are real, actual churches that once existed in what is now Turkey. But the number seven in Revelation is a very important symbolic number. 
And so it's fair to conclude that when John says to the seven churches, it refers to all churches. Seven is the Hebrew number in particular for perfection or for completion or for wholeness. And so it's fair to conclude that the letter is written to all of the church of Jesus Christ throughout all of time. Okay, So John wrote the letter. He wrote it to the seven churches that are in Asia and really also to us. And then finally, um, depending on how long you've been a Christian or if you're a Christian, you might or might not know this, but Revelation is by far the most symbolic and image-driven book in the New Testament. And perhaps the most symbolic and image-driven book in all of the Bible. And uh, by the way, that's why I want you to draw what you hear. We've provided you with crayons. That's not a joke. We've provided you with crayons. We've provided you with a blank sheet of paper. Kids, uh, you heard a great vision about Jesus. I want you to draw what you heard and draw draw the vision that you, if you can read, read in Revelation chapter 1. And adults, you're welcome to do that as well. Or you can be linear, logical, Western Americans and take notes. Either one's fine. Um, but the, the point, again, is that Revelation is very symbolic. And uh, two big rules of interpretation that I want to mention here at the very outset, okay? And again, I want to encourage you to read the essay that I've written. But first, the symbols and the images, guess what? They have symbolic meaning. Um, So just as an example, here in chapter 1, when we read that Jesus is pictured as having a, a sword coming out of his mouth, that is not to be interpreted literally. Now, John might have literally seen that in his vision, but its meaning is symbolic, what it means is not that when Jesus returns, there's going to be a little literal sword coming out of his mouth. It means that Jesus' word and voice are powerful and authoritative. So those symbols and images are to be interpreted as if they're symbols and images. That's the first interpretive principle. The second interpretive principle is this. The referent or the meaning of the symbols is almost always found in the Old Testament. There are more allusions to the Old Testament in Revelation than any other book in the New Testament. They're not found, by by the way, the, the the referent of the symbols are not found in your modern day newspapers. I mean, newspapers don't really exist. They're not found online. They're not found in a Twitter handle or at some random blog or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC's news page. They're found in the Old Testament. And so as we look at these images, almost all of them have some reference point in the Old Testament that give them meaning. So just to encourage you to become more familiar with the Bible, the better you know your Old Testament and read your Old Testaments, the better you're going to understand what Revelation is saying. Okay, I know I blew through those because I want to get to the text itself, but those are three just sort of introductory points. Who wrote the book, where it was written, who it was written to, and just some basic interpretive principles. Okay, that said, Revelation 1 is the introductory chapter to the entire book. And uh, what Revelation 1 is is teaching us, and hopefully what I want us to really embrace by faith this morning as the Holy Spirit is present and active right now is this main idea. Okay, Revelation was written so that God's people will know that Jesus is Lord and we should not fear. That's the main idea. Revelation exists in the Bible so that you will know that Jesus Christ is Lord and we should not fear. So let's break Revelation 1 into three different sections, okay? And here they are. First, John's greeting. Second, John's commission. And then third, John's vision. Greeting, commission, vision. All right, let's rock. First, John's greeting. So we see in 
verses 1 through 8 of this first chapter, a fairly standard greeting for an ancient letter. It's similar to what we see in other letters in the New Testament. So if I wrote a letter today, like say to Marianne, my wife, I'd say, Dear Marianne, you know, yada, 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 love Luke. So the author of the letter would put his name at the end, correct? In ancient times, the author of the letter put his name first at the beginning of the letter. So I would say if I was writing an ancient form, Luke, husband of Marianne and pastor of Christ Church, to Marianne, beloved bride in the Lord, yada, 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 right? And that's what we see here. We see John addressing himself and telling us who he's writing the letter to. And yet at the very outset, I want you to notice something. In verse 1, John writes that Jesus Christ gave him this revelation through visions that he's going to receive. And then he tells us why. Look with me in verse 1. Why did Jesus do this? John says, Jesus gave him this revelation to show to his servants the things that soon must take place. Listen, right away in verse 1, you learn something important. Revelation was given to John and given to the church of Jesus to reveal the truth. Not to conceal the truth. This book perhaps is the most misused book in the New Testament. Maybe the whole Bible. And it's easy to read through it and then to believe that only people with PhDs in theology can really understand it. But in the very first verse of the, of the book we see God saying that he wants to disclose rather than conceal the message of the book. We see that even in the verb he uses there, to show. That word, show, in the original language implies that the book can bring its message home to its hearers. Okay? So if you are this morning here as a Christian, some of you are, some of you aren't, that's okay. We're glad all of you are here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this book is for you and you can understand it. And and then we see in verse 3 this amazing promise where John says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So an explicit blessing is appended to the introduction. This is the only place in the whole Bible, the only book in the Bible where this is said. So John, at the very beginning, wants to encourage you that this is an understandable book for you. The book was written for you to have revelation, not to conceal the truth, but to reveal the truth. And as you read it, as we hear it read out loud together, we're to trust that the Holy Spirit of God right now is at work helping us to understand it. Okay? So we see that happening at the very, very beginning. So John continues the greeting all the way really through verse 8. And what I love about this greeting as he addresses the seven churches in Asia there in verse 4 is that he sort of adds to the greeting an immediate account of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus has done. He sort of dunks this greeting in the gospel. He dunks this greeting with a a heavy dose of Christology, of the person of Jesus and, and the work of Jesus. I mean, you can see there that he gives Jesus three titles in verse five. He calls him the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then after that, all the way through verse seven, he reminds us of what Jesus has done. He says Jesus has died to free us from our sins by his blood. He's made us people and priests in his kingdom, priests to God the Father. And to him is glory and dominion forever. And he's going to come again, verse 7, with the clouds and judge the earth with perfect justice. And then in verse 8, we see three more titles. 
that come from Jesus' own lips. I am the Alpha and the Omega, he says, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the, the Almighty One. So what's going on here? Here's what's happening. At the very beginning of the letter, John is already trying to fill our minds with the truth that because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done, those who have committed to following Jesus need not fear. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus rules right now from his throne in resurrected glory. You should not be afraid. Now, we're going to talk more about fear in just a moment. But at this point, can I just ask you to consider a question with me? And here's the question. Does your personal view of Jesus Christ have room for the way he presents himself in Revelation 1? What do I mean? Um, Here's what I mean. You know, whether or not you're a follower of Jesus right now, whether you claim to be a Christian, I think it's fair to say that in our culture and in perhaps most of our minds, we tend to we tend to favor what I'll call a domesticated view of Jesus. What I mean by that is that we love the idea, generally, of a nice, friendly Jesus, of a spiritual guide Jesus, of a forgiving, merciful Jesus. And let me just be very clear, Jesus is all of those things. He absolutely is. But he is also a glorious judge who conquers his enemies. He is also one whose eyes are like a flame of fire, verse 14. So do you have room in your view of Jesus for that? If you don't, then the likelihood is that you have cast him in your own image rather than allow him to form your view of him through the scripture. And here's why that matters. Here's why it matters for you and for me to have an accurate picture in our heads of Jesus. It matters because you can never really give your life to Jesus for the sake of his name if you don't really understand what he's truly like. Listen, you can never really teach your children to walk in the fear of the Lord and to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength if you don't understand who he's like. You can never really go die on a mission field for Jesus if you don't understand who he really is. You can never really sacrificially give of your money and of your energy and of your time to advance the kingdom of God through his church if you don't understand who Jesus is. Understanding who Jesus is has an unparalleled significance in the practical day-to-day reality of your life. Only when you can see Jesus in all of his fullness in the way he's presented in the Gospels and in the way he's presented in Revelation can you really devote yourself to him in the way that he calls you to do so. Jesus is not like your fourth grade Sunday school teacher who put him up on a flannel board and told you how sweet he is all the time. Jesus is the king of the universe who will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Do you understand him like that? If you don't, then you don't really understand him. Revelation is going to thrust that truth in our faces time and time again. You know, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is a famous illustration that can't be overused. So how dare you insinuate in your minds that I'm overusing this? Um, In The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Lucy and the kids are in Narnia for the first time, uh, they're with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, if you remember the very beginning of that very first book. And um, Mrs. Beaver has just explained to Lucy, the youngest child, that 
Aslan is the ruler of the land of Narnia. And Lucy says, uh, Lucy's found out, by the way, that Aslan is a lion, right? And she says, I would feel really nervous about meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And Lucy responds, then isn't Aslan safe? To which Mr. Beaver jumps in and says, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. John wants you to see that right away. So that's what he tells us in his greeting, okay? Second, let's look at John's commission. We see that in verses 9 through 11. Jesus appears to John, and he tells him, verse 11, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So he's being commissioned here, just like the Old Testament prophets were commissioned, people like Ezekiel and Daniel. And now, what I want you to see is how John describes himself in recounting what happened to him as he writes. Look at verse 9. He calls himself your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Now what's going on here? I think that's important because Paul, I mean, excuse me, John doesn't like Paul here underline his authority in the greeting. He doesn't say, I am an apostle, listen. That's what Paul typically does, and that's okay. What John does is emphasize his solidarity with his readers. He's actually representing here, even in the very beginning of the letter, what all followers of Jesus can expect to go through. As one commentator says, Christian experience has two sides, suffering and kingdom. You see, what John's doing is setting the table here in verses 9 through 11 for another major theme in Revelation. And that theme is this. The follower of Jesus is one who must endure. He or she must go through suffering and tribulation. That's why he says, I am your partner in the tribulation, in the kingdom, in the patient endurance. Jesus himself says that repeatedly. He says, my followers will have trouble in this world. But in John's gospel, 16, chapter 33, verse, he says, but take heart, Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. What's going on here? John's saying that when you are in Christ by faith, you are going to experience tribulation. You're going to be called to patient endurance as you walk in union with Jesus Christ through the ministry of spirit in your life, waiting on the day that you will overcome as Jesus has overcome. You know, we love survival stories by and large. The book Unbroken, I know some of you have read that by Laura Hillenbrand. That is a great book about Louis Zamperini, the World War II hero who was a POW in Japan. That's a great book. It's, it's just an amazing survival story. Um, there's all kinds of books like that. They're always bestsellers on Amazon and at Barnes and & Noble. And, and I think part of the reason that we love survival stories, that they resonate so much with us, is because in a sense a survival story is kind of the story of all of our lives compacted into a small frame of time. <laughs> this might not be super encouraging, but you could view life in a sense as one big Survival stories. You know, much of life is about making it through hardship and, and learning more about yourself and about God and about the world as you go through it, right? It's about endurance through pain. 
so that you can rest at the end. And that is unquestionably what the Christian life is about. One of my seminary professors used to say that tribulation is the spiritual gift that no one is talking about. There's a reason no one talks about it. Tribulation is the spiritual gift that no one is talking about. Revelation is teaching and will teach that it's a gift, in a sense, to go through suffering because it teaches us truth about ourselves and about God that we can never get otherwise. And Jesus wants us to hear throughout this book that we will face tribulation and that he walks with us through it. Are you troubled today? What is it that is causing you to feel like you're suffering right now in your life? Are you walking through a dark period? Are you confused about something going on Then you're just not sure what to do? Are you overwhelmed with hopelessness? Maybe that's where you feel today. Maybe that's where you are. Um, if, if it's not where you are today, then sometime you will be there for sure. And, and, and this is the point. For Christians, walking through the fire of tribulation is not an if, friends. It's a when. That's the truth. And, and what Revelation teaches is that we must, grow through the, we must go through the fire of tribulation with the gospel. The good news that Jesus is with us. If you go through the fire without the gospel, you're going to be in danger and perhaps destroyed. Let me try and make that practical for you, okay? If you believe, if you believe functionally, like you probably wouldn't say this, but if the way you sort of act functionally in your head, if you believe that God saves people who live a really good life, then when suffering hits, what's going to happen? You're either going to say, I lived a good enough life. I deserve better than this. God is out to get me. God is wronging me. Or you're going to say, there must be something that I've done wrong that I'm not aware of, or maybe I thought I was doing well, but I'm not doing well enough for God, and you're going to think, I'm just a big, fat loser. But either way, the suffering is going to bring those sorts of feelings out, and it's going to move you off the path of flourishing. But if you go through suffering with the gospel, with the knowledge that Jesus is with you, you can say, okay, this is my fire for now. This is my tribulation. I'm not being punished for my sins here because Jesus was thrown into a much greater fire than this to be punished for my sins. And moreover, if Jesus was willing to suffer infinite wrath of God, infinite rejection, infinite loss on the cross so that I might live, then perhaps my suffering here, which is not nearly as significant as Jesus' suffering there, will end up for my good, even though I don't understand it now. And even though I don't know what's going on, and even though this is hard, and even though I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, I believe that Jesus is with me because Jesus has been through this and God raised him from the dead. And so if God raised Jesus from the dead and I'm united to Jesus, then surely God will raise me from the dead as well. You see, when you're living in the midst of suffering and tribulation, when you're walking through the fire with the gospel, you're able not only to make it through, but to actually grow as you go through. Revelation is going to teach us that message again and again and again that as we walk through suffering, Jesus strengthens us with his loving presence. And really, that's what we see thirdly as well. Let me wrap this up with John's vision, okay? In verse 12 and 11, really 11, John hears 
the voice of Jesus. And he turns around, verse 12, and we see that he sees the voice that was speaking to him. But the first thing he saw when he turned around was seven golden lampstands. Now we know that those represent the seven churches. And we know that because Jesus tells us that in verse 20. It would be nice if he told us what every vision in the book meant, but he doesn't. But he tells us what this one meant, okay? The lampstands represent the church because, as Jesus says elsewhere, the church is a light shining in a dark world. Now, let's look at the actual vision for a few minutes, and then we'll wrap it up, okay? A couple of things you need to see here. First, I want you to see that Jesus is not above or over the lampstands. Look at the text. What does it say? that Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands. Confirming our prior point, Jesus is with his people. Jesus is with you when you walk through the fire. When you're in tribulation, Jesus is there with you in the midst of his church. And secondly, as you look at the vision itself and as you draw the vision, you need to understand that this vision has a striking resemblance to a part of the Old Testament, particularly the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, tells us about a son of man that Daniel saw. And also Daniel chapter 10, if you read that, bears striking resemblance to the vision that John sees here. So Daniel had the vision 600 years, 700 years, before John has this vision of the son of man who is to come. The Son of Man is Jesus. It's the most common name he uses for himself in the Gospels. And so what John is doing here is having a similar vision after the first coming of Jesus. Daniel saw Jesus from far away. John sees Jesus in hindsight. But they're both describing the same person, the same sort of thing. Especially we see that in verses 13 through 16. So if you look at the vision itself, you see two things about Jesus. First, you see that Jesus is with his church as a perfectly pure priest. Look at verse 13. He has a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. That's technical language for what an Old Testament priest would wear in books like Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. Okay? His hair on his head is white as wool. White is obviously a symbol a symbol of purity. And it's used very often that way in the Old Testament. His eyes, verse 14, are like flames of fire. Fire symbolizes purity and cleanliness and lack of corruption. Jesus is with his people as a pure priest. And then secondly, Jesus is with his people as a perfectly powerful king. Verse 15, his feet are like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. That's straight from Daniel 10, referring to the power of King Jesus. His voice is like the roar of many waters. Very obvious language of power and majesty. In his right hand, he holds the seven stars. The stars represent the angels of the seven churches. So this means that Christ is the ruler, not only of the church on earth, but also of the church in heaven. He is sovereign. In heaven and on earth. He has a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. That comes straight from Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4. And 49 verse 2. That means that Jesus is the judge. 
at the end of time. He will strike down his enemies. He will establish his kingly rule. And then John tells us that his face was shining like the sun in full strength. Again, straight from Daniel 10. What's the picture? Jesus is a warrior. Jesus is the conquering king. Jesus is the Lord. That is the vision here. And the vision was so significant that it overwhelmed John. I mean, look at verse 17. It communicated so strongly the power and the purity of Jesus that John falls at Jesus' feet as though dead. Now, let's say, let me say two things by way of application, and then we're going to finish, okay? First, Jesus Christ is Lord. That is practical. That is what Revelation says. And here's what I want you and what I want myself to hear and believe. Because Jesus is Lord, this world will be made right in the end. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, all wrongs will somehow be corrected in the end. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, all those who are hopeless will one day have full hope in the end. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, all the hurt will be healed, all the lost will be rescued, all the sad will be consoled. Because Jesus is Lord, the outcome of every single event of history on the world stage and in each of our individual lives is secure and is being shaped and formed by King Jesus for our own good and eternal and ultimate joy. Jesus Christ is the Lord of this world. Jesus Christ is the Lord of history. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can overwhelm him. Nothing can conquer him. He has the keys of death and Hades. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Praise the Almighty. Praise Jesus. Jesus is the King. Jesus has won. Jesus is victorious. Aleppo will not end the day. Totalitarian regimes will not end the day. Cancer will not end the day. Broken relationships will not end the day. The evil in the world will not win. Jesus is Lord. Jesus rules the universe. This Jesus, listen, this is the second thing. This Jesus comes and lays his hand on John. Isn't that amazing? It's my favorite part. Pastors aren't supposed to say that. I say that all the time. It's my favorite part. Sorry. My favorite part of chapter 1, verse 18. That Jesus, eyes flame of fire. His voice is like a, a torrent of water. It's like a tsunami. That Jesus comes to John, who's like a dead man, saying, get away from me. I can't stand this. Verse 17. Fear not. And he lays his right hand upon his forehead. Fear not, John. I am the first and the last. Fear not, John. I am the living one. This man who has feet of burnished bronze and eyes of flaming fire, gently and lovingly lays his hand upon his servant when he was lying as though dead and tells him, do not. One of my mentors in ministry um, preached a sermon on Revelation 1 about 
12, 13 years ago now that I still remember, and I'm going to steal his application to close. And he tells a story about when he was a, a member of 10th Presbyterian Church, which is a historic church in central Philadelphia. And uh, he was an intern there preparing for ministry. And one day he was spending the whole day with a man named David Apple, who's a deacon at that church and who runs um, a mercy ministry in particular designed for AIDS victims, for those who have been diagnosed with AIDS and are being treated. And this was in the early 90s, right, when the AIDS ec- epidemic seemed to be a much more big deal in the, in the news and there was a lot of fear about it. And Adam, my mentor, told the story about when he was spending that day with Dr. Apple and the first thing they did when they walked into the hospital and they went up to the fourth floor and they were going from down the hallway and going to visit a particular patient then, that David Apple had been ministering to. And they, they opened the door and Adam's a young intern, not sure what's going on, not sure what to expect on a hospital visit, especially since this is an AIDS patient. This is a kind of a big deal. Dr. Apple walked directly to that man as he lay on his hospital bed and placed his hand fully upon his forehead and said, Jesus Christ is the Lord. Do not fear. That is the message of Revelation. Jesus, the king of the universe, the one who has ordained all things, whatsoever may pass happens because he has caused it to pass. Jesus, the king, is with you now. Jesus the King cares deeply for you. Jesus the King is on your side. And if Jesus the King is on your side, there is nothing in the universe, in heaven or hell, that you should fear. Let's pray.